guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Stone, and today we're joined by Dr. Richard Cooper and his daughter, Dr. Grace Cooper. Dr. Richard Cooper graduated from his Bachelor of Dental Science from the University of Western Australia in 1978. He went on to join his father at his family-focused dental clinic in Morley, and he took over the business after Jeff retired. Richard uh, spent nearly 40 years working hard as a dentist and small business owner before retiring in 2014. Now retired, Dr. Cooper enjoys golf, fishing, playing with the dog, and giving his daughter, Dr. Grace, dental advice whenever he gets the chance. Dr. Richard Cooper, welcome to the show, and Dr. Grace Cooper, welcome back to the show. Hi, Lawrence. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the invitation. (laughs) All good. So, tell us about your CPD or dental journey. Well, I was... um... My first thing I wrote, I wrote a couple of notes. The first thing I wrote was start early. Mm-hmm. So I actually started getting advice and stuff before I even joined my father after I graduated. So I went to the, one of the local endodontists and I said, look, I'm going to be doing this. I've got this, the few things that I bought as a dental student. What do I need to start on day one? He said, well, you need this, 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 and you need these files and this. So I went out and bought them. You see, and I said, told to my father, I said, I bought these things. And he said, oh, we don't do that much of that in this practice. You didn't do root canals? Not a lot. No, I was only in 78, we, 74 when I started, we were only the second year to do molar endo as a undergraduate course. Before that, it was all post-grad. Right. So, so I bought this stuff and I, I do remember because it cost $100. That's a lot. <laughs> and then I, I did a back, back of the napkins maths a few years later and I figured, that $100 turned into a million dollars of fees. So it was a good investment. Anyway, so I didn't only invest in a couple of dollars, but I invested in learn. And also the other thing I um, thing is go and learn from the guys who know more than you do. And when you're a new grad, that's everybody. So um, so that was interesting. So I, I always used to go and try and visit the, uh, the specialists and they're always happy to have me. You ring them up and they say, oh yeah, come in and spend half a day with me, whether it's any of the specialists, specialists. Mm-hmm. and you just learn stuff and it's great. And you build a relationship with the specialist. And I'd never, in my knowledge, I don't think I was ever knocked back by any of them. So that started very early. Yeah. Um, well, let me just hold you back there I'm for a second. Going- it's interesting how you mentioned that, you know, early on in your career, you purchased a lot of these dental equipments because for a lot of graduates at the moment, what happens is we purchase a lot of these equipments during uni, but closer to the end of it, a lot of us kind of choose to sell it because we don't think we're going to use it. But what you're saying is um, that keep these equipment because you never know because you might actually end up using these face bows, these articulators that you want to get rid of. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Keep it all. And then in, yeah. in three years' time, okay, so you're going to get a couple of hundred bucks for selling a face bow. Who cares? But if you used it once in those two years, then it was worth it. Mm. So, yeah, it's, yeah, hang on to stuff. Hold on to it. And if it goes into the bottom drawer, who cares? <laughs> but at least you've got the option to think, oh, hang on, I've still got that. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't sell anything. Mm-hmm. Personally, yeah. So, um, yeah, following on from that, you, you mentioned that the first few things that you were doing was basically leaning on some of your senior um, clinicians that were around you. Um, and some of the specialists that were around you. Where were you feeling like um, you needed to learn more in terms of different um, interests in dentistry? Well, early on, everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, literally everything. Uh, my father and my grandfather were brilliant exodontists. I didn't like that red stuff. It's called blood, I think. I didn't like that. So I, didn't, I didn't get into any of that, really, so I didn't do that much. So if there were any things like that came into the clinic, my father would do it while he was still with us. So that was great. And then after, and also I didn't do any, I did occasional full dentures, but that was not my bag, so I didn't do that. So I did lots of endo and got into the crowns and not so much in the perio side. Um, but then, uh, so you just 
first few years, you just do what's there and do what's there. And then you'd think, well, okay, what I don't want, I thought I'd do um, very early on, I thought I'm going to do oral surgery. That very quickly changed when I, there was this red stuff called, I think it's blood, I think it's called. So I yeah, yeah. So no, I gave that one a go. So I did a lot of endo and I got into crowns and some uh, um, occlusion stuff. So, you know, you just keep going to seminars and learning and then you learn what you do and you don't want to do and what mm. doesn't work in your own clinic. So. I want to I want to ask as well. You know, I just want to paint a little picture there. You know, because from the time when you were doing CPD, it's very different to what we've got now. You know, um, tell us a little bit about what that kind of scene was like when you're trying to learn about your CPD. Okay, well, CPD is a new concept that we didn't. I mean, you have to get points and stuff now. Well, there was certainly none of that when when I graduated, and I was going to say I was practicing for you know well over thirty five years. And in that 35 years, I didn't see any of, some of my graduating students went with me. I never saw them in a course, ever. There mm-hmm. were about eight or 10 you saw everywhere and regularly. The rest, I don't know what they did. I don't know whether they're still doing amalgams or what they're doing. <laughs> I don't care, I've retired. But it, I, I couldn't figure out what are they doing to learn more stuff if you never see them. At a, I was at all the courses I could get to. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, it was good to learn and number two it's easier than a day at work mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean because i want to ask as well because you know obviously at that time like you've mentioned cpd wasn't a very big thing you know at the time lots of people were more um you know getting stuck into it and doing it what kind of compelled you to want to do more cpd i started to realize what i didn't know and then if you don't know it how can you possibly do it and how can you flourish in it and how can you offer that to your patients? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be better. better. Yeah, better is the word. Yeah. 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 It. So and some things worked, some things didn't. So then you asked me, how did, how did I know where I wanted to take my practice? Well, I, I went to one seminar, this guy called Ken James of Opus Seminars, and he was an American chap, and they often were. He was radic- radically different. He was into the preventive game, you see. So he, his, mm-hmm. his, practice was structured that he basically tried to say to patients, okay, I'm going to get you in. I'm going to teach you how to look after yourself, do anything you need doing. And I never want to see you again as a dentist. So he had a hygiene area, teaches patients to look after themselves. And he is literally used to walk around interviewing new patients, telling them the the philosophy of their practice. And, and that's all he did. And he did very minimal clinical dentistry and he had a very big practice. And I thought that sounds cool. So I started doing that. That didn't work because I had to generate my own fees. So then, okay, so we kept the concept, but I was actually generating fees and we did new patient interviews. And that worked out so that I was basically pushing the preventive side of things and not getting, because a lot, I, I wasn't, I didn't get new patients in to try and see how much dentistry I could do. Yeah. I would get them in to see how much I could teach them about looking after themselves and doing as little as I can do that they needed. Um, I had a hygienist very early on, and a lot of dentists, when they get a hygienist, think, oh, well, we'll get him in for two days a week or whatever. And I mm-hmm. thought, no, if I'm going to get a hygienist, I'm going to have a five days a week. And that's the last time I did a scale and clean because mm-hmm. they could do it. They could spend three quarters of an hour at it while a dentist spends 15 minutes. So if someone tells me they go to a dentist who doesn't have hygienist, I said, who cleans your teeth? I said, oh, the dentist. I said, Okay, well, you might want to think about changing practices because dentists aren't good at it, or we have to, you just can't spend the time that you need to do it and educate the patient. So, so we very, very quickly after that built a preventive practice that had three hygiene rooms. And I've had days where I was the only dentist. These are no fun, and don't any of the dentists out there ever do this because it's stupid. <laughs> is where you have me as a dentist and three hygienists working, and you're doing exam checks in three rooms and your own patients, your endo, and you can. It doesn't work. It's very stressful. <laughs> but I certainly ran two rooms the whole time with hygienists. And then, um, so I, I like that practice philosophy of the patient coming in and them needing as little as possible, look after them. And then you look after them forever because they realize you, they're not going to get gouged. They're not going to be over-treated. Um, and they love it. And, you know, when you get a practice, I, I, mean, I did lots of seminars. I did one with... Um, uh, momentum practice management and their practice management was totally different. It was basically 
it was a three-day thing, and I think I only lasted one day. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with what, what this lady was doing. I won't mention her name because it's a funny name. <laughs> anyway, um, but um, she was excellent, but the philosophies were different. She mm -hmm. talked about new patient value and how much new patient value you could get. What's the highest new patient value, value you could get out of a new patient? And later on, I went and did another seminar, and my new patient value was the lowest in the room. But I certainly had the biggest dental practice. I mean, my hygiene practice at that stage, this is 15 plus years ago, was mm -hmm. turning over three quarters of a million dollars, and that's just the hygiene rooms. Mm -hmm. But we had, and I had 7,000 active patients on my books at that stage, where they said a good practice is 1,500. So it's a totally different philosophy. And don't do what I do, you do what you're comfortable with doing, but that worked for me and I believed in it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I want to come back a little bit as well, just before we get into the practice side of things, you know, I want to start back again with the earlier parts of when you were doing, um, you were coming out and learning about dentistry. So you mentioned that, you know, some of the early things you were getting on were endos, rotary, uh, you were getting on um, endo files. Um, you kind of realized that, you know, dentures wasn't your thing. X oral surgery probably wasn't your thing at the time. So was that how you were kind of picking the courses that you were deciding to go or the webinars you were deciding, to, uh, not webinars, seminars you were deciding to go? Webinars? <laughs> webinars in 1978? You're joking. <laughs> I bought a calculator when I went to university. <laughs> there you go. There you go. we had slide rules at school. I know that's, that's what I have. So, yeah, I am that old. You, you, you bought a crown prep video, but it was an uh, actual video. Oh, yeah, had, yeah. Yeah. I bought a crown prep because that was... That, no, yeah, generally, I went to courses at the local hotels and wherever they do it with the seminar. You know, the guys come over from over east or over the states or whatever. And that's generally how you do it. Mm -hmm. But I bought this video um, called the 15 minute crown prep. Yes. And it was a video, it was a VHS tape, you see. And it was radical. And I learned that I could do some of this stuff and not some stuff I didn't do. So basically, I was able to do an excellent crown prep in 20 minutes with no problems, no rush. Mm, right. Yeah. As the guy said, you've got to set it up so, you know, you do it, this, 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 and this. It just becomes a system. Mm -hmm. You're not rushing at all. That's just not rushing. Yes. Um, and you, ex you end up with a better result than the old hour and a half or whatever I used to do. And uh, But he said, if you buy a Ferrari you, or a Tesla these days, you yes. don't have to drive at 100 miles an hour, but if you have to hurry, you can. So what that meant for me is I'd have a, my normal crown prep appointment would be three quarters of an hour. They'd give me plenty of time to go off to the other rooms and stuff, no problem. But mm -hmm. if someone came in with a broken tooth, for instance, and often broken teeth, I didn't crown. But if I had to, I had half an hour and I explained, yeah, well, let's do the crown. So I'd, I'd do it there and then, do the prep and then fit it two weeks later. Rather mm -hmm. than, okay, we'll temporise it, we'll get you back because it'll take me an hour and a half to do it. Later. And the patients want to be seen once for an injection or twice. <laughs> yes. I, know, I think you, know you sent I mean? me like a YouTube version when I graduated because now we have YouTube. But you yeah, had to go yeah. Oh, it's all on you. Everything's on YouTube these but days. So. You had to so go out and up, um, find it and buy it. Scott Perkins is his name if you want to look at that. Any of you guys out there? <laughs> yeah. Look, I think um, the 15 minute crown prep um, you were talking about, that's still kind of, yeah, definitely you can find it online. I think one of the things, like you've mentioned just there, it's about systems. It's about um, building those systems in place for it to kind of run smoothly, isn't it? And then um, that timer, a keeping of, you know, this is how much time you kind of should be aiming for and planning for to kind of get there. I mean, obviously it, you know, was probably a drastic change from um, thought and how you're doing things from, you know, like you said, one hour to about trying to push it to about 15. Yep. Uh, and once you get it and your staff get it, it's less stressful because you mix this and that's this is handed to you and you and it's just very easy it's, yeah because you're not thinking along the way you're just doing the job i mm. mean to prep a crown even if you're a bit slow maybe take 12 minutes to actually prep a crown right so if you can do it in five minutes that's why some guys are brilliant i'm not i wasn't but but the system would make half an hour easy no problems at all Mm. I could explain how that goes if you like, if anybody wants to know how I used to <laughs> We'll definitely leave it in the show notes for the people to follow up and find out more about it. Um, but tell us a little bit more. So, you know, that was one aspect. Then there was the endo part of things because there's a 15-minute endo out there as well. Yeah, that, that I have problems with, that one. 
And, <laughs> but, but you guys have now got rotary, rotary endo, which absolutely transformed everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, my right thumb, used, I used to have a muscle about this big <laughs> because it was literally, I, you know. Oh, my, my worst I ever did was five endos in a session. Wow. That's hard work and your thumb just aches and, you know. But with rotary endo, it, it speeds it up. You get a better result. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll tell you a little story about education stuff. I bought a microscope. I thought, well, right. I, I mean, I've got to buy a microscope. So I had a patient come in on a Thursday and she had an upper, I'll remember this forever. She had an upper left five and I just could not, like, even with my loops, I couldn't find the canal. So I said to her, and then I'd refer. And one of the other cases I've got down here is don't be afraid, afraid to refer. If you can't do it, refer it. Don't stuff it up. Anyway, so I said to the lady, I said, look, on Tuesday, right there, there's going to be a microscope happening. Would you mind coming back in? She said, no, no, that's fine. So I got her out of pain. And she came in. And the first time I used the microscope, it took me 15 seconds to find that the access to that canal. Wow. It changed everything. And I was working from two rooms. So straight away, I bought another one. So we had two microscopes because I'd move from room to room. Uh, they were brilliant. Did I use it for everything? No, but when you need it, you need it. Mm-hmm. So, so that was that was radical. I got the microscope. It worked really well. So doing any any endo, get a microscope because it makes it so much better. Mm, that's and, definitely, I guess, for a lot of associates, they have to think about um, talking with their practice owner about how they're going to um, tackle that kind of issue, isn't it? There's only one problem with getting a microscope: is suddenly all your patients have a second mesiobuccal canal in the upper sixes. <laughs> they didn't beforehand. Yeah, but they did after get a microscope. That is true. That is true. So, you know, like, and then a lot of graduates, you know, around that four or five year mark, they start to contemplate about practice ownership, start uh, thinking about specializing or becoming a super GP. You know, for you, you mentioned you decided to go down that practice ownership path, but did the thought of being a super GP or a specialist cross your mind at any point? What's super GP? That's when you have a special interest in something. So let's say, for example, you have a special interest in, you know, um, root canals, or you have a special interest in cosmetic dentistry, which is, you know, just full mouth rehabs, or let's say for an interest, uh, um, implants, you know, so you just tailor your um, interests or the type of dentistry you do towards that. Yep. Um, I looked at various things and I thought, no, uh, full-on uh, aesthetic dentistry, fantastic, but I didn't need the stress of those sort of high-need high patients. I thought, no, mm-hmm. I didn't do that. Endo, I did a lot of endo because it was just there and I didn't want to do exo. Um, I did some um, occlusion stuff for headaches and stuff like that. Composite so I, veneers? Com- yeah, I did lots of composite veneers. I was good at that. Um, and again, because that was very conservative dentistry, mm. not radical dentistry. Um, yeah, and I looked at, you know, I asked one guy over in Melbourne to mentor me who was doing a lot of high-end crown stuff. We went, I went to this, anyway, I won't talk about that. Uh, over to Melbourne and I spent half a day with him. Oh, no, I don't need that either. It's too hard. You never wanted so, to be a specialist or No, a, I just wanted like, to be. You like the variety. I like the variety, yeah. yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And just looking after the people in my suburbs and around the place. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, for someone like yourself, you would have been watching your parents, uh, your, your, your father going through the um, the ups and downs of practice ownership, you know. I mean, for some people, they look at that and they think, oh, you know, I don't really want to stick, get into it. I mean, what were some of the things that you were saying, hey, look, I actually want to consider taking this on? Well, I was very fortunate. I moved in with my father in, into his practice and then he just basically decided to slow down, tail out and left and just left me to it. So I was very fortunate like that. Um, and, but then straight away, as soon as he left, I moved from 72 square metres to 220 square metres because I had a vision of having more preventive and more rooms. And so we went from two rooms to five. So um, I always had the vision of having a, a decent practice. And mm. Actually took over when Yeah, when I just took over it. when he finished, yeah. Mm. So. Fair enough. Yeah. And then like you mentioned, you've had, you've been through a couple of those courses to kind of um, help you along the way. Um, Cause you know, having different uh, business advisors or consultants before, how does that kind of compare to, you know, um, when you're just talking to maybe peers or just learning from on the spot? Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. We, um, one of my staff, Tanya, who's been in the practice for 33 years now, one of my hygienists, brilliant girl. She suggested we do a thing called business thinking systems. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I thought, well, that's interesting. 
So we went and did this thing called business thinking. So they'd never done a dental practice before, but it was tabled, tailored to any small business. Um, and basically, I'll, they they get all, you get all your staff along on a weekend, and you start, and each of your staff is going to write down what they do in a day, from the first person who comes in and unlocks the door, and someone makes tea or some every single thing that you do. Right, you write them all down on a list, and then we all compare. You see, and then they collate those. And we had 120 different jobs in the practice, okay? And that would be any practice. And then straight after that, they collate them and then they, they, they share them. And each of, the, each of the five or six of us in the practice at that stage, it wasn't very big, they had um, various colours and green was, we're happy with that. So if opening the door was fine, all green and it's forgotten. And then green, yellow, blue and red. Uh, I think the uh, blue and the red were, blue is, I have a problem, red, there's a major problem. And it, can only, it might be only one of the staff who sees major problem that no one's defrosting the fridge or something it doesn't have to be dental it doesn't have to be anything but basically they work out what's not going right in this practice from everyone's point of view and then they say right we're going to write an affirmation that says now that the fridge is being defrost stuff doesn't smell or now that we we're throwing out the endophiles they're not breaking or whatever it is right you write you write an affirmation so now that we don't have that problem it's great or whatever and then they work out a system where right okay, how are we going to get to that end point and who's going to put their hand up to do it? So basically you used to take about four, four visits to fix a problem and there'd be mm -hmm. more. And the various staff will put their hands up. Oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do that bit. And they're held to it. In two weeks, they've got a, a fixed part of the problem. But what, it, and they were, we paid for this and it was for six months. Well, they finished after 18 months. That's how mm -hmm. long. Um, and what it did, it built a practice philosophy that everyone was accountable for everything in the practice, which is hopefully it's still there. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, Jenny, who does the so-and-so is actually accountable for everything in some respects. So if there's a problem, talk about it. Right. Yeah. That changed the culture of the practice, which is still there 15 years later or 20 years later. Mm. And that wasn't even a dental thing. And that was from one of my staff who came along with, Let's do this because I think it'll help. And I was I'm very was very much into listening to my staff because I had great ideas. But guess what? I've got six, eight, or I think how many are there now? 24, 20, 20 30, yeah. Yeah. Six and staff. they've all got ideas, and I'm not I'm not the hero. Well, I'm not even there anymore. So anyway. <laughs> but but yeah, if you build a culture of inclusiveness, everyone feels heard and they are heard and they've got good ideas. And guess what? They don't want to leave. So do you want to hear some other radical <laughs> business things that I did? Well, before we get to, into that, I do want to still kind of focus on CPDs a little bit here. So you mentioned, you know, 15-minute um, crown preps. You've mentioned occlusion. You've mentioned TMJ. You've mentioned some um, endos. You know, of all those, what was the biggest game changer for you? I'd say doing this practice management thing, which totally changed the culture of the practice. Mm -hmm. That was a seminar with, with Ken James and Oprah seminars. Um, but the other stuff was incremental. This wasn't incremental. This was, we changed, literally the day we left, we changed everything. Mm. Pinpoint a clinical thing over 30 odd years of clinical development. Yeah, um, yeah. because you don't do one thing that generally, you, do, you get a good idea and you do it. And, oh, great. Right. Okay, well, stick with that. Now let's do another one. So you never stop learning. Mm -hmm. What do you feel was different about this one that you didn't quite get from maybe some of the other ones that you were catching, you were doing? Uh, well, I thought, wow, that's a great way of a lifestyle for the dentist. And also what a great thing for the patients not having to go and have their teeth drilled for the rest of their life. <laughs> I like that philosophy. Mm -hmm. So that, Fair that's, enough. yeah, I think, yeah. So, so um, yeah, I mean, that's, so you're saying basically one of the best things about the CPD was the fact that it not only helped you reduce the um, stresses of the non-clinical side of things, which allowed you to focus a little bit more on your clinical side of dentistry as well. Is that what you're saying? Well, it basically said, well, I'm, I didn't do any hygiene myself. Mm -hmm. It's great. Uh, I wasn't doing that anyway, but it just, just reinforced my beliefs that, excuse me, dentists aren't great at doing hygiene. <laughs> They're probably good at perio, but not standard hygiene. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what else I could say. <laughs> That's fair enough. You know, for, for some of the CPDs that you have been through, what would you say um, a tip or say, for example, how do you get the most out of the CPD that you might be attending? 
Uh, listen, be open, and go and have coffee. Okay. Because yeah. you learn just as much around the coffee table as you do from the guy presenting. And I always said to myself, if I left, uh, you know, one of these courses with one point that I could take home and use, it was worth it. And what you find is over time, as you get a bit older and more experienced, you learn less and less each time, but you still should do it until finally you say, well, I'm going to retire now. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. I think you mentioned like talking to the other dentist at the course, oh. you learn a lot as well. Absolutely. Which I never even thought of. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't listen to you the learn presenter. just as much at, yeah. at you know, just chatting. You know, Grace is sitting next to someone who's been at, at in the practice of this for 25 years and she's open, she's going to learn a lot. And some of that learning is what not to do. Mm -hmm. I bought a Biolase, fantastic, cost a fortune. I had a lovely trip to America to learn on it with my wife. It's fantastic. And they gave me a lovely thing, $130,000 for a jacket, and the laser was free. And and it was meant to do painless caries removal and prep, you do crown preps with it, all sorts of stuff. Never used it, you know. Well, I did use it. I did, I did a some gum lifts and various things like that, but it just didn't do what it, so I lost on that one, that's fine. But I, I bought a Ceric machine and that was brilliant. I did lots of stuff with that. And now eventually that became most of my, um, most of my crowns I built myself on the uh, on the Ceric machine. So mm -hmm. it's a great thing. And you were, do, you were doing that 15 plus years ago. Oh, yeah. You were very ahead of the game with ages, Ceric. Everyone, yeah, yeah, ahead of the game. <laughs> so it was a bit harder in those days, a bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> You mean the Ceric and, and um, how it was kind of coming into fruition? A lot of people talk about the troubleshooting of using the early Cerics. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So everything's easier in a lot of respects these days. So that's good. Yeah. But I, I mean, like on that point, you know, talking to the people around you, you, were, you mean like talking to people who may have um, more experience and who've kind of tried to implement some of these things. Um, that you might be uh, learning at the CPD and then they can give you a direct feedback as opposed to the presenter being like, no, this is how it's done and it's perfect. It works every time. What you're saying is if you talk to some of these senior dentists around you, or it doesn't have to be senior, but someone who's maybe implemented some of these things, they could kind of give you an idea of actually, does this really work or is there another way that kind of works better for them? Yeah, and anything you do, there's pitfalls in it. doesn't matter what you do. There's pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And when you're hearing from the guy at the front, you'll only hear the pros, you won't hear the cons. You know, this biolaser cook your breakfast, but it never <laughs> did. But if if I'd gone to a, a thing and someone had told me, yeah, look, I've got one of these and I use it three times a week, not not three hours a week, you know, whatever, um, it's probably not worth it, then I may have listened to that. But I didn't have that advice. Mm. So. How did you come across some of these, um, you know, uh, CPDs? You mentioned you were hearing about from Melbourne. You were going overseas um, to do this biolase. Uh, found out it wasn't quite good. You know, how did you come across some of these CPDs? Like dental magazines? I don't or? know. I <laughs> did don't your friends know. tell each other? I don't know. No, yeah, it was a word of mouth. Know. Or I don't know. Sorry, I can't answer that. That's I okay. Your ears open, you hear stuff. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I I think I joined a thing called the Exceptional Practice Group, which is a thing in Melbourne, because one of the heads of the dental houses dom nominated me and told me all about it. So I went over. So there's all sorts of ways. I don't know. Um, it's different nowadays anyway. You're just, so. you're just always looking, yeah. as far as I was concerned. I was looking, what do I need to do? And, you know, there's journals. Yeah, the I Australian Dental journals. Journal. Yeah, I think mainly. Yeah, because there was nothing. That's okay. There was so, no when I graduated. <laughs> so, who's been pivotal in your career path and why? Oh, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's been pivotal in my career path and why? I'd have to say that Ken James, the whole preventive side of things, is pretty pivotal. Pivotal mm -hmm. because it, it gave me a philosophy that I agreed with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also probably probably grandpa. Oh yeah, probably. my father, of course. <laughs> uh, he got me into being, you know, doing that. He didn't encourage me to do dentistry, but I thought, well, I, I was always a fiddler. I was good with my hands and loved doing that. And I like um, like helping people. And he seemed to have a reasonable income from it all. And so that's why I did it. So, mm. so yeah. Yeah, for some, one thing a lot of new graduates want, you know, is mentoring. They interpret that differently. Some people want to be held by the hand. Some people want to be, you know, checked in once in a while. Some people want to just, you know, be on the wall and just observe. 
you know, what's your thoughts on recent graduates looking for mentoring? <laughs> Depends if you want to be, do you want to be the fly on the wall person or do you want to, I mean, some people graduate and just jump right in and take over a practice and go for it. Um, but then, you know, that's pretty hard to learn when you're doing that. So, and I think Grace is getting great mentoring in the practice she's in because people are there to actively help and she's open to listening and they're opening to help. So I, I don't know, you, you answer that one. Yeah, it's, it's a really hard question. How do you find a good mentor? Oh, like, how do you find a good mentor? I suppose, oh, it's, that's really hard. Because I, I said, as I said before last time, that I'm very lucky. I am so lucky with the mentor that I have at the moment and that I've had in the past. Um, yeah, I, I think, how do you know? So, oh. I think, look, look and be open. Maybe go and watch the dentist a couple of days before yeah. you accept the job and see what they do and if they explain stuff. And when you go to seminars and you're having a coffee and you're talking to people, you can you can suss oh. them out. What's their philosophy? Does it does it marry up with yours? And that, uh, if they're better at it, ask them. Look, oh, I'm not very good at this yet. Can you help me? And most people say, Oh, we'll be delighted to. A piece of advice actually that I got recently from my practice principal Jim was um try to build a good relationship with specialists as well. Mm. That's a good mentorship avenue. If, you, if something goes pear shaped, you can flick it to a specialist who you've got a good relationship with. Absolutely. That's a good one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I mean. You, you've mentioned, Dr. Grace has mentioned in the past, you know, sometimes she has a difficult case and then she might give you a call and then ask you, you know, I've got this tricky case, how do I do it? And then obviously you've, there's two different thoughts here. You know, we've got yourself who's got, you know, years of experience and had through, going through these cases before. And then you've got her, she's like, you know, I'm seeing these things that's different online. I'm seeing these new techniques, these new tricks and um, things like that. And then she's like to you, you know, this is how I would approach it and your thoughts might be a little different. Talk to me about, you know, the kind of mindset and um, what's kind of happening at the dinner table when that happens. Uh, well, I just talked about being open. It works both ways. So when Grace does some of this, you know. I had, I had a patient who cracked a tooth and I said I did like a porcelain crown and says, oh, I would have done a gold crown, you know, well, yeah, right. so, <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> but if you can justify what you're doing for the patient, it's in the patient's best interest. That's fantastic. If there's a better way, yeah, well, that's even better. Yeah, open to learning, um, yeah. yeah, but Grace stuff I never did. You're learning new stuff, yeah. But you were so ahead of the game. Like you oh. like with your composite veneers and you know your serix and stuff. I'm very lucky that I that I had a tutor, my own personal tutor, who whose knowledge didn't stop in 1978. No. <laughs> so you learn Well let's talk about that, you know, your composite uh, um, veneers and all of that. How did you kind of get better at that? You go to courses and you learn and some of the things you like and some of them you don't. You get materials you like and some you don't. Um, nice thing I used to like about composite veneers, people would come in with, you know, crooked teeth and stuff like that. And they say, oh, I want braces. And actually a friend of mine, his son, not very long ago, and I said, well, if we just change the shape of that lateral and build up that, comp that that'll fix it. Well, so we did it, came in, three quarters an hour later, he walked out, huge smile. And he was told and he, he needed orthodontic surgery. He was told he'd need all this stuff and just build up some composites. Build, build some composites. The nice thing about them is the biological cost is zero. If he breaks it, you put another one on. If he wants to go if back he, and get the surgery, he, he can, can take always them get, off. And, yeah. yeah. No um, cost, no biological cost. No biological cost. They last for years. Mm -hmm. um, the crew is getting better and better. And they're not terribly time consuming or terribly expensive for the patient. And they're brilliant. You can see we're on the same page. Of <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. was there, I mean, look, composite wasn't um, very prominent, you know, that earlier on in your career. And obviously it was, you know, more amalgams and it slowly kind of transitioned now to composites. How was that, you know, was there any particular CPD that kind of, you know, changed the way you looked at it or uh, um, how you were implementing it? Lots of them. Lots of them. I did a, I went and did a course on color and it was literally just on color. So you learn about the science of color and how to read color and do all that um, just so you can do aesthetics. Um, that was one. Uh, I mean, there's just so many, I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to imagine. So mm. one thing I want to talk about as well, you know, Dr. Grace mentioned this last time she would attend like the same composite course again. And then she felt like, you know, the second time she would go to it, she took something more out of it that she didn't realize the first time. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. That's why I said, if you take one point away from a seminar, 
you can take home and it changes your practice worth it. And yeah, there there were probably in that seminar you went to, you took one home, but there were three or four that you could have used, but you only absorbed one. So you don't be afraid to keep going. Mm. Just keep going. Mm. I say later on in your practicing life, you go away and you think, well, okay, didn't get much out of that one, but you've got to keep going because you might miss that one that'll change everything. Yeah, because a lot of graduates, you know, they would say like, oh, look, I've attended one, two composite courses. I think I'm good with that. I'm ready to move on to the next stage. Um, but you're saying, you know, just go back and do that again and you'll probably take something even more out of it and to take it to the next level. Be humble. There's always, most of these guys are better than you'll ever be. That's why they're out on the lecture circuit. Mm. Right? Um, yeah, be humble. Be humble. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't so, have there been any particular struggles in your CPD um, or dental journey so far that some of our viewers might not know about? Uh, no, not well. I got put down here stress. My, my dental journey was pretty stressful. I had a busy practice. So I took something out of my father's book and I used to have 20 minutes sleep every day of my dental career, maybe probably missed five in 35 years where I didn't have 20 minutes sleep. You mean in the middle of the day? Absolutely. Put my dental chair back. We'd have an hour and a quarter for lunch, which is a long time, but it, basically I could go out, sit with the girls, have lunch, you know, wander off, go and have half an hour, 20 minutes, Keep, wake up. So I used to work eight days a week for the very short days. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, would, I was, that's a good thing that I took from my father and it's stress yeah. relief to the max. I got longer than 20 minutes, I wake up like a zombie, but I wake up 20 minutes and I would literally wake up with 30 seconds to go before my patient at two o'clock. Mm. But also the well, day you missed the sleep with the work, like if someone uh, ran late, like you were, you were well, I, rare day. The, um, <laughs> the, the reason I retired is because I got Bell's palsy. And I think I got Bell's palsy because on a Wednesday, I worked right through lunch trying to, trying to help someone. They were from 2J and they needed a, a partial denture repairing and I could do that. We didn't have a technician. On. So I did that work through, I got it done for, right? And I had a stressiest day of my life. And then right after Friday afternoon, I started out, I got Bell's palsy, couldn't work for 10 weeks, went back, did half a day, thought I've had enough and retired. So that worked out well. <laughs> well, talk to me about that. You know, before you decided to implement that, what was kind of going wrong? Like, you know, were you feeling oh. like you were just overworked? Like, talk to no, me. No, no, I just took a leaf out of my dad's book and did it from, you know, I was probably two months in being a dentist. Still no stress, but I thought I'll do this and I just stuck to it forever. It's a very stressful job. It's a very stressful job. Yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah. I mean, it's interesting Rotary. that you mentioned that because yeah. um, a lot of people, a lot of new grads, especially, they've, like you've just mentioned, they feel like, you know, I can probably do it in this, I'll just cut into my lunch, you know. Stupid. But you're stupid. <laughs> Sorry. You're not, you're not, people do that and then it's a really good service for the patients. I don't think it is. I think it's very short-sighted. You're short, cut, short, short-cutting the patients and yourself, and you won't. It won't last. You've got to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself, and then you can really take care of the patients. Mm. So, if I can give you anything, look after yourself because it's a stressful job. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the airplane. You put the mask on yourself before the kid. You know, you got to yeah. you got to make sure you're good before you yeah. can help anyone else. But but in saying that, let me give you a practice philosophy that I took always, and it, I call it win, win, win. So in the patient, the patient's the first person in the practice who's got to win. They've got to be good and given good care, nice place, sensible fees, they win, and then they'll come back. And the second people have got to win have got to be your staff. They've got to be looked after, they've got to be remunerated, and good hours, good yeah. hours yeah. and they've got, to, they've got to love their work, right? And if those two win, then you automatically win. You'll have a good practice, nice place to go, You'll have a nice income, life will be good. Any of those fall apart, then you won't have a long-term successful practice. You'll just be pulling on the steering wheel and it won't, it won't work. That's my philosophy anyway. Mm, yeah, because you know, on top of that, you know, you mentioned you were working long days. Um, you mentioned you were working many days. A lot of graduates now, you know. Four days, but like. Four days. I did four and a half for a while. Oh, I, I used to work five days a week. And then I thought, oh, this is too much. So I stopped working on a Friday afternoon because half my patients would cancel on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> so I thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And then that's true. Um, and then I thought, well, I don't want to work Friday mornings. And each time you, I reduced my hours, it made no difference to the practice turnover. Just didn't. 
But can I argue that you had long days in that you were quick, so you would see a lot of patients in it because you're quick at everything. I was efficient. So, <laughs> so it would be a long day for for the average dentist to see that many patients. But I didn't so work long hours. It wasn't long hours, but I would I would call that a long day. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, that's an interesting point because you know, like a lot of graduates now, they feel like you know I got to work six days. You know, I got to hustle it now because I'm young. I'm gonna push it. Um, but your point is, you know, earlier on, you decided, you know, no, I gotta look after myself, and I gotta, I know this is gonna be a long career, and I need to, um, you know, not, I gotta pace myself. Yep. Yeah. So, if you, if you, if you're pacing yourself, and you, are you looking after your patients? Mm. My answer to that is, I think yes. But, mm. and if that is, if this patient is, if I'm looking after myself, is this patient still gonna be coming to me in 15 years' time? And their husband and their kids, and their, yeah. I mean, Grace has seen some some patients who used to see my father. Yeah. So that's how practice stable they are. Yeah. You don't yeah. get that by rushing and yeah. If you don't, if you're not taking care of yourself, your it'll suffer. Your work will suffer. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But I think that's quite common for young grads as well. You know, yeah, looking themselves too hard. Look after yourself. And guess what? The other thing is, I wrote this down. Um, Take holidays. The world will actually keep turning without me. <laughs> we sometimes we don't believe that, but it does. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't work. Oh, guess what? The practice kept functioning. It is. I'm, I'm not that important. Don't even don't even need It's true. It's true. You know, another thing is, uh, you know, for people, they reach that point in their life where it's, you know, now they've got to consider family. How do you balance, you know, clinic, being a great clinician, owning a practice, and then you're starting your own family? Oh, I don't know. I only had five kids. It didn't really, didn't really, <laughs> really change. It was thing. easy. The family's easy for me. I went to work. Yeah. <laughs> My darling wife about that. <laughs> Oh, sorry. This is probably like a random story, but when my oldest brother was born, like you were doing a procedure, and you had to like, oh, I've got to go. My kid's being born. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it was Nathan. Yeah, was it, yeah. I, think, I yeah. remember the story of oh, I was I was at work and Nathan was being born. And I had to be like, sorry. No, no, no. Oh, well, you I, finished the procedure. I, I, I just had to finish the procedure and then rush off because oh, yeah. my wife was in hospital. Um, I don't know. Work and you were very lucky. Yeah, we had it worked out pretty balanced. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is like, you know, it's about having that partner, having an understanding partner that was understanding, you know, the kind of things that you were kind of going through and um, you kind of have to talk to that. And then so that way everyone's on the same page because otherwise it won't work. Absolutely. And that's life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's mm. the same with, I was, I was going to say another thing about staff, you know, and there's like 24, whatever they are now. Um, so I, I wrote down here in my little notes, appreciate your staff. Um, we did... Early on, we did lots of retreats. We uh, once a year we'd take three days or two days, and we go off somewhere and hire a hotel and and do a staff retreat and just talk about stuff. That's we found that that's great. We also did another thing that is Ken James guy told him. He talked about PPIs, personal professional interviews, which mm -hmm. basically I used to do quite often. And it used to be every three months, each of the staff would come in, be allocated, be during my lunchtime, they'd come in, and they'd have twenty minutes, and we'd have a meeting, and I'd just say. How's it going? And as I haven't got much to talk about, 20 minutes later, so well, I've got to go and have a nap because you can't shut them up, right? <laughs> but they love to be heard. And it wasn't a time for me to correct them. It wasn't me. It was just a time for me to listen. How's it going? Or, you know, Jenny and I aren't getting on. So whatever it was, you know, and just being an ear. Mm -hmm. They love that, okay? And you build it. It just works. So we did that. That's another thing we did. Um, here's an interesting concept for those out there. The girls, the staff used to set their own wages. That's a bit right. Yeah. That is interesting. We have a very small little community, this dental community. Everybody knows what they were. I mean, that's when a new person came along, I didn't interview them. My staff used to interview the new staff. I'm, you know, and then if they were any good, I'd then see them. But basically, I'd say, What are you worth? Now, anyone who's worth anything knows exactly what they're worth. So I'd say, you know, maybe what it, dollars an hour. I'd say, Well, we'll start you on. And then if it works out in a month or two months, then you're on that wage. Because they all know. And if they're trying to rip you off, you'll know, and it don't, won't work anyway. So, so there's a radical one for you, because mm. staff don't work for money. Money is part of it. So if you don't pay them enough, they can't they can't be long term. But if you pay them double what they're worth and the practice is horrible, they still won't stay. 
though so one of the seminars I went to, they said, take money out of the problem, out of the out of the issue, get rid of that as an issue. And they all know what they're worth. And if they're worth mm. that, they're worth paying that. So um, and another one that Ken James used to say is long-term responsible staff generate long-term responsible patients. So when someone comes into our practice and they see Tanya, 34 years, they've been seeing her for 34 years. Guess what? They're probably going to keep coming. But if you go into a practice where every every time you go in, there's a new dentist or a new hygienist, or a, it's not real great. So look after your staff. They're the most valuable thing you've got. So that would be, for anyone out there, that's what I would recommend. Yeah, I think that's interesting, you know, as a, you know, associates that might be listening in, you know, you can start it at that level, you don't have to be waiting until you're an owner to kind of start at that level, you can start that from day dot when you're, or going back, you know, the next time you, after you listen to this, that, you know, you talk to your staff and you just ask them about, you know, talk to them, being open, um, and where you kind of uh, might need to pick it up or it's not about that hierarchy that you know because you're the dentist you're above them um, it's more about the open communication well I used to say celebrate your staff catch them doing good things and compliment compliment them in public correct them behind closed doors and also another thing we used to set ridiculously high goals in the practice and what I meant by that, we wanted to be the best practice in, in Morley, and then we want to be the best practice in the west, you know, the northern suburbs, then we want to be the best practice in the state, then we want to be the best practice in the country, and then we want to be the best practice in the world. I mean, ridiculously high. So by the time I'd finished, we had the biggest hygiene practice in the country. How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> we just set that goal and we got there. Mm. Don't ask me why, I don't know. But set goals, yeah, okay, we want everyone... I don't think any of the girls that work now work more than four days a week, do they? Oh no, it's really, it's a really good uh, flexible hours. Job sharing, working yeah. working mums, you know. Yeah, I everyone had, works what they want to work. I had one staff member, and she went off to America. Lovely girl, and uh, she met a man. And anyway, she came back, and she um, she was just great. And um, I, she came back working for us, and then he got posted as police officer. Got posted posted in the country in two J. So I made a position that she could do my book work from 2J just so I didn't lose her out of the practice. And then, uh, so she was doing two hours a, a month or something, but I didn't want to lose her and she, she appreciated it. And then she said to me, look, if I go and do the hygiene course for two years, will you employ me? I said, absolutely. She went off and did hygiene for two years and then she came back as a dental hygienist for me. She was brilliant and I think she knows that she was loved. So, there you go. That's so an interesting story. Yeah. Lots of good stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> and all my so, still there. Yeah, yeah. Um, babies and come back. So look after people. Yeah, I think you know. I think we forget sometimes that in anything, in any kind of job that we're at, it, we're a people business. You know, it's all about the people you interact with, the people you work with, not just the patients. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I'll tell you one other story. One of my one of my dental therapist hygienists who's been in the game, I think longer than me, and she used to, she knows everyone in the whole game. She came to me one day and she said, I understand. I said, what do you mean? She said, I understand why you do all this. What do you mean? He said, I understand why you look after the staff so well. I said, well, what do you mean? Because you win. I said, yeah. <laughs> ah, so finally clicked. She says, you're the winner, aren't you? I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ah, she thought I was very altruistic. No, no. <laughs> so that was interesting that she's finally nutted out why I'm so nice to my patients and my staff because I'm the winner. <laughs> it's not rocket science. <laughs> so how did your clinical, uh, ideal clinical day or non-clinical day change over time? I mean, you mentioned, you know, how you started your busy day, long, I mean, many days and you kind of were cutting back and you realized, you know, that's kind of where you wanted to go. Um, but in terms of like maybe the type of procedures you might be doing, because you mentioned, you know, you, you started to build the hygienist, so you were kind of referring a lot of that to them. Um, but yeah, the type of procedures you might be getting up to. Okay, when I got my first hygienist was the last day I did the scale and clean because I believed that they could do a better job. And patients who had been seeing me for a few said, I want you to do it. And I said, no, I won't do that because I'm not as good as they are. I don't think I lost any patients because they went in and they got cared for better than I could care for them. So that was a change. In, that was that was a black and white. I mean, I had, I think I had two patients who would only see me 
they had, they'd never had any calculus and they were scared like you would not believe, phobic, phobic to the max. And I didn't, I'd clean their teeth that there was nothing to do because if they had more than that, then, you know. But basically that was a, you know, Monday we're doing it this way and I never changed. And I, that's why I employed a hygienist full-time straight away, not, um, that built up. So, but I was... Um, ideal day. An ideal day. No, oh, <laughs> no, the idea of that. Well, the other thing I was going to say is being in control of your appointment book. Mm. So there's two there's two ways. It can control you or you can control it. So a lot of the seminars that you go to will teach you how to block book and how to control your appointment book so that you have a sensible day and you don't have five endos in one session because that's no joy to anybody. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so young, and I didn't, I wasn't very good at this, so get good at that early because you'll have a better life. Um, so my average day was I'd have. You'd have like a, a crown, some fillings. Endo, endo some hygiene. Crown. And I'd be, I'd be doing, in, in, I'd give a local and go, go do a hygiene check. Did you see many children? No, really occasionally. No, not many. Not many. Uh, they used to stress me out a bit. <laughs> the hygienists used to do that because they were therapists. The therapists can do, the, they they can can do that. Yeah. Yeah. You had five of your own as well. I mean, bear in mind. <laughs> well, they, were, they were at home. That was, that was, a, that was, the, that was another box in my life. It was a different <laughs> box. And I was able, I never took work home. Mm. Yeah, so there's, there's gen, that general, general dentistry and then things you didn't like, you tried, you know, didn't Try, do many. Yeah. I never did full dentures when full dent when my father retired and he did a lots lots of dentures and I used to hate them. At, at those stages, that stage they had uh, the prosthesis starting, so that was great. Now if you go, go and see prosthesis because <laughs> I don't want to know because I could do. I found I could do the best job doing a full upper and lower, and if they didn't like it, I'm yeah. <laughs> what can you do? You know. Yeah. So anything else I can do or fix, but that I couldn't. So I didn't do it. Mm. So stuff I didn't want to do, I didn't do. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think there's lots of nuggets that we've kind of shared um, today. Is there any other words of wisdom you want to just kind of round it all up for the young budding dentist? A summary. Yeah, I think we've said it all, really. Um, be nice to people and they'll be nice back. Take care of yourself. And take care of yourself. And sometimes you'll get caught and some people are nasty, but you can't get them to their level. Um, love your staff and love your patients. And keep learning. And keep learning. Well, mm. if you're not learning, then you're really not loving your patients because you're just doing what you learned 20 years ago. And that that may be fine, but it may not be up to scratch. So, yeah. Uh, so, well, Dr. Richard and Dr. Grace Cooper, thank you for coming on the show today. If you could let the people know how they can find you or what's kind of going on in your life. Well, you're not really online. You can find her, Dr. Grace Cooper, <laughs> but <laughs> don't try to come find him. No. <laughs> Want a few tips on how to improve your interior composite restorations to make them all so nice? Well, we've got an exclusive CPD Junkie Cheat Sheet collab with Dr. Clarence Tan. You'll get the essential tools to set you up for success, an exclusive promo code for the Hugh Freddy School Tools Composite Sculpting Kit, and a step-by-step -step case presentation. So head over to cpdjunkie.com.au forward slash aesthetic cheat sheet forward slash Download your free copy today and make those bum-ass anterior restorations and your friends would be wondering how you did it. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.